Welcome to the Cordwainers In Your Shoes podcast. My name is Katie Greenier and I'm the Creative Talent and Network Director at Pentland Brands. Cordwainers are shoemakers and today the Worshipful Company of Cordwainers works to promote footwear design and entrepreneurship in both education and the fashion industry. To celebrate the company's 750th anniversary, we have recorded this series to explore what it is like to live in the shoes of those who make them. Today, I'm joined by Charlotte Olympia, who built her own footwear brand in 2008 after studying footwear at London College of Fashion. Charlotte's products are famed for their spin on Hollywood glamour, and Charlotte lives and breathes this mantra. She always looks magnificently stylish, even when having a bad hair day. When she enters the room, she brings a slice of Hollywood with her. So being in her presence is always scintillating. Charlotte has a sharp eye for detail, and I know this as she's a fellow judge on the Cordwainers Footwear Awards. Charlotte is a great inspiration to myself and many designers across the globe. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning, Katie. How are you today? I'm good. Excited to see you face to face because it's been a year of Zoom. It has, hasn't it? And you look absolutely stunning. Thank you. Charlotte Likewise. hasn't let us down. She's wearing a beautiful beret and red, red lipstick and a black and leopard, I believe, which mm-hmm. is standard Charlotte Pretty Olympia. signature. But absolutely. Hiding look- the roots under my hat. Looks gorgeous. We're going to talk about Charlotte Olympia and I'm um, going to start off with just where are you from? Where am I from? I am, I'm from London, but my mother's Brazilian and um, my father is originally half Middle Eastern, so I grew up with a colourful background, but I'm English, British, let's say. And where did you grow up? Again, I grew up in several different places. So I was born in South Africa, then moved back to the UK. Then we moved to Paris, then back to the UK. And then we moved to Rio and then back to the UK. So always been back in the UK growing up, but traveling a lot also. What an incredible childhood you must have had. It was, I mean, it was wonderful. Traveling, meeting new people, learning new languages. And do you speak any other language? I speak French and Portuguese, but I haven't practiced them in a very long time. That's incredible. So, yeah. And what did your family do? My family, my dad was in property and my mother was in fashion. She used to be a model in the 70s, 80s. And then she was a mother of four, is a mother of four. So tell us... What led to you going to London College of Fashion and becoming an expert in footwear? I wouldn't call myself an expert. I'm practising still, but I I guess it didn't come from my dad's side. It definitely came from my mum's side, growing up with her in fashion. I think I grew up just seeing her in shows and photographs and dressing up. And I think that whole that opened the me to the world of fashion and that whole backstage element of it which I still really love the whole starting from concept to ending in a show and just watching like the makeup happening and the dressing up and that whole thing I guess I found magical as I think a lot of young girls do seeing their mother dressing up so I think I always knew deep down that I wanted to be in that world. And did you, were you good at drawing? Were you just good at putting stuff together? How did it sort of... I don't think I was like exceptional at drawing, but I always liked, I I enjoyed drawing, but I always liked making things. I think for me, it was like making things with my hands, whether it was like little model, paper models of things, whether it was in dolls' houses or clothes, um, making outfits for my Barbie, cutting her hair, painting her nails. I mean, you know, experimenting in that way. So I always enjoyed I think more a hands-on approach which is why I think 
that led me to shoes. It never was shoes for me. It was always I wanted to be a fashion designer. And for me, that was from head to toe. When I did my fashion, my foundation degree at London College of Fashion, that's it was only then that I realized you could do it a degree specializing in footwear or specializing in millinery or even handbags or saddlery or whatever. Um, so that was a real eye-opener that you could really specialize. And I think it was my, one of the tutors on my foundation course said you focus a lot on designing shoes, hats and bags for all your outfits rather than just doing the usual sketch with your, you know, with the ready-to-wear. So maybe you are an accessories designer. So I took that on board and um, kind of went that way. So again, even when I was doing my foundation course thinking I wanted to be a fashion designer, I was very much into corsetry. That I think was because I was into the past a lot, um, costume design, which is what I look back at now, now that I have my brand. I mean, arguably it's not as far back as when people wore corsets, but again, that was quite a hands-on thing to do. It was still a bit more three-dimensional than making a dress, so to speak, or your typical dress. So I really liked the hands-on making, I think making is is what drew me to the shoes, I so, guess. So when did you discover, so you discovered that there was a footwear course yeah. and then you just thought, sign me up. I thought sign me up. Well, I think that was, it was an, I think then for the next two terms of my foundation course, I then focused a lot more on my projects being, I guess, accessories led and... For me, actually, maybe subconsciously, I'd always loved accessories. I think I still believe it's the thing that can dress you up more than anything. Even a hairstyle for me is an accessory, which is why I have a signature kind of 40s wave. For me, it's still an accessory. Lipstick, in a way, is an accessory. So I guess as I was making things in my foundation course, I liked it more and more. And then when I visited Cordwainers, just seeing all the machines and everything just got me really excited to be able to physically make a three-dimensional object. And what was your time like there? My time was good there. I wish I, I wish I, um, I concentrated more on the pattern cutting side of things, just because I don't know. In hindsight, it would have been nice to have been a good pattern cutter. I am definitely not a pattern cutter. I liked making and I liked designing and embellishing, but I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it very, very much. I always, I went to Cordwainers or I went to London College of Fashion even. My idea was I wanted to be a fashion designer, but I always wanted to have my own brand. I think, again, from a very young age when I knew I wanted to be a fashion designer, it wasn't about just designing. I wanted to build a world, so to speak, an aesthetic. It was everything from... I was excited about designing my logo. I mean, it was from everything, from the concept, the smallest little concept down to, you know, what my shop might look like. So for me, it was always a brand building exercise from the word go from even when I started Cordwainers I knew what my logo would be and what my packaging might be I mean for me it was also I enjoyed the marketing aspect of things as well so for me it was full circle it wasn't just about designing that said I mean I worked when I was at Cordwainers I worked for a designer called Jean-Baptiste Valley in Paris whenever I had a moment um, at the time he was working for Ungaro and then he started his own label so whenever I had whether it was a month or a week, I would go over the those three years and work with him and learn what it was like working in a fashion house. An amazing Angara, I mean, as an old-fashioned house. And then working with him when he started his brand. I mean, all that was a huge learning curve and made me want to have my own world even more so. So you seem really single-minded in your approach. And did it happen <laughs> as soon as you left? I, I guess so, because when because my mother's from Brazil, I visit Brazil quite often, and they do have a shoe manufacturing industry in Brazil. So I, I tried to make um, 
my grad collection there because as you know you can either make them yourself or you have them made and like I said I'm I was better more at the concept than pattern cutting <laughs> and making so I mean that in itself was a learning experience getting like someone to make your own product to how you want it to be so I did that and from there I sold a few pairs of other shoes to a little shop in Notting Hill called The Cross. And it was just one boot, which I still um, made after that for, for a while. It was in my, I guess, um, it was called an Encore collection, which was my classic collection that was always there because it kept coming back, which is why we called it Encore. <laughs> More on puns later, because I love a pun. <laughs> so I, I did that. So it was, yeah, from the offset, I always knew that I wanted to do it. And if it was just trial and error and working with little stores, that's how I did it. I mean, that was great. I mean, it was a big eye opener into what it was like to manufacture, ship, package everything especially from another country to the UK I mean everything I learned like huge learning curves and I mean thank god it was only for one style shoe because I mean it would have been a nightmare otherwise I mean ignorance is bliss because otherwise you probably wouldn't go into it knowing well, everything no you have to do no one would but that said I I loved all of that and any problem thrown my way I kind of I guess I'm a kind of half half glass half full person I think just having a bit of entrepreneurial spirit helps you get over all those little things because you're like oh we can fix it it's not the end of the day how find a solution I think that's always well it's a how can, you think it's a can-do attitude isn't it yeah. it's about actually sort of where there's a challenge where, where there's a will there's a way yeah um so for those who don't know your styles yes Tell us about your handwriting and the details in your footwear and what makes the signature Charlotte Olympia. Um, I'm going to be quite contradictory, actually, because I say that my style is quite classic, yet I think it's quite it, it's quite fun and novelty. I mean, whether I like the name novel, the word novelty or not to describe my collections, I guess I, I don't mind it because I use it myself. But um, I always think there's a fine line because I love fun kitsch things but I think there's a fine line when something is kitsch and not particularly nice because I think kitsch is a word that sometimes people use not in a necessarily very positive way especially when it's a luxury product quote unquote. It hasn't been used so much now though. But I don't I don't mind the term novelty or I think in America they used to call my designs whimsical. <laughs> um, I think the fine line is taking something that is fun and let's say kitsch and novelty but making it so beautiful that you don't even use that word anymore. It's why not take something? Why can't things be fun, but not necessarily kitsch? Why is novelty kitsch? So for me, mine is taking something that might be deemed as kitsch, but actually making it beautiful and fun, whether, you know, the technique, the stitches, or the, I mean, you can see that, I mean, I'm inspired by the 40s and the 50s and a bygone era and old Hollywood which I've talked about before. <laughs> I'm very much inspired by that that thing of taking something fun and accessory, which actually back in the day where everyone used to dress very beautifully, so to speak, or in a classical manner and um, quite formal, actually, wearing a novelty hat or bag or shoes wouldn't be deemed as novelty even. I think that's where people had fun in fashion was through the accessories, which is why I think that era in particular drew me to it. It was very 
strong in an in a strong accessories game back then, I think. And people wouldn't leave the house without a hat, gloves, bags, stockings, you know, the lingerie. I mean, whether you see it or not, from a shoe perspective even, I think is important. So for me, my designs, even if the odd one that might seem quite sober, so to speak, there's always something that might have a little wink to it, whether it's in the shoe itself and just the wearer knows it. I think that's that in itself is special enough. How do you go about telling stories through your work? Um, sometimes I'm extremely literal. In fact, it starts off initially or concept before I've designed might be quite literal. Or I might see something and go, oh my God, I love that. What does it make me feel? So I think mine is very emotional based. I like to evoke feelings. I like to tell a story which sometimes might need to be. And when you see a whole collection, I always start by making the flamboyant pieces, the the matriarch piece because they're always a bit more whimsical kitsch novelty all of the words that I mentioned before but very beautiful and I don't know showstoppers and then I kind of filter down through there so for me it is quite a visual thing which is why again I loved doing my lookbooks and photographs everything kind of went with it even the packaging some shoes might have a different lining one season because it just made it feel even more part of the story. It's little details like that, Katie. Um, <laughs> I, I can't explain. I mean, they say it's, it's all in the details. So for me, it has to strike an emotion and a feeling. Um, for me, shoes are wearable objects and women are quite funny with shoes. And many, many women buy shoes and never even wear them. I mean, I'm going through my archive right now and I've got a million shoes, arguably more than most because I designed them. So I've got an excuse to have quite a lot, but so many I haven't even worn, but I can't bear to part with them. So for me, because they are a three-dimensional object and a lot of people do it, I just like to look at them. Some people like to have them, their shoes displayed. I've seen people do that or bags or... But I think the purchase has a sentimental and an emotional attachment. Yes. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think most, I can speak for most women. Our intention is always to wear them. Um, but if and that we haven't got around to wearing them yet. But um, I think I design with, um, you know, provoking an emotional reaction to something. I mean, you might hate it or you might hopefully absolutely love it. But um, I quite love it. <laughs> so, you know. What's been your most challenging project or collaboration? I've been very fortunate to do a lot of great collaborations. Challenging, they're all a bit challenging in a way because sometimes when you're working with um, bigger brands or more corporate brands that have massive teams or in different countries and different ways of working prove challenging because, in a good way, because, um, you know, you kind of have to get, you want to put your stamp on something and they might not work in that way or vice versa, they might want theirs. So I think the challenging for all all collaborations is just getting that happy medium because I believe in collaborations first the synergy has to be there initially which is from both parties so I've always a lot of collaborations whether they've come to me a lot of them actually have been me coming to them where I feel like there's a synergy and that we can make something quite beautiful so when I did a, a Barbie I mean I think the challenge there was how many accessories she could have I mean that was being, <laughs> so I'm being quite superficial and challenging um but you know it was things like that like how can you know 
I mean, not everyone gets to make their own Barbie, especially someone who grew up absolutely loving them. So for me, that a challenge was how many accessories can Barbie wear to show the Charlotte Olympia brand? Or when I did a collaboration with Mac, I was adamant that I wanted to have my own design packaging because a lot of the time I think you just change the colours of the original packaging. But for me, I think a lot of these are brand exercises whereby I want to not just choose the shade of the lipstick and mascara. It was about what does the Charlotte Olympia makeup look like and that was it was challenging because they hadn't done that before but I mean I think if you've got a strong aesthetic and you've got like synergies and they understand your vision then you kind of come overcome those kind of hurdles what does a normal day in your life look like a normal day in my life (laughs) today or a year (laughs) a a normal day oh, oh I've got four boys so, I mean, I can't ignore that that doesn't, you know, that it just works perfectly. So normal day is working up extremely early because now I also I live in the countryside, so everything just feels a bit earlier. Take the boys to school. I've got lots of animals as well now, Katie. I've got like cats, dogs, what have you got? donkeys, sheep, chickens, my girls, because I've got four boys. I was like, I need have girls you, in my life. Can we just stop a minute? Did you say a donkey? I've got two miniature donkeys. Oh my, yes. I've always wanted a donkey. They are gorgeous. And then I've got my um, my girls, my chickens, all named after showgirls. So I've got like Liz Taylor, <laughs> Mae West, Minnie Mae, Doris Day. Um, so, I mean, I, I keep injecting the glamour, even if it's into you the know, life with the chickens. <laughs> and then I work a bit on, on projects. I mean, a couple of years ago, things took a pause. And now I'm, I'm starting to work on projects again, which is, um, which is good. And exciting for us. Now that there's no... Um, homeschooling which helps a bit more focus (laughs) really helps um yeah but it's nice it's nice to um also have taken a pause and be in life with my kids a hundred percent and kind of reset on what I want to do with the brand going forward because you know when you have time to to think you know you do want to make a few changes so watch the space that's really exciting to hear what would you say has been your most defining moment in your career I've got maybe a few, I think. I would say maybe one would be opening my first store because I think from the young girl in me, that is always what I wanted to do because with a, with a store, you can show your world. I think a lot of designers would say rather than just the product, it's, it's I mean, as much as some of my shoes had quite strong aesthetics, I think to take it further and show what your world looks like, smells like, um, sounds like, was a defining moment for me. And... Maybe another one, I guess, you know, growing a big team from being a small working at home, having an office with a large, fantastic team because you can't do everything by yourself. I think that was one of the lessons I learned is learning how to delegate and finding great people that are like minded and want to grow your vision with you. And um, maybe having partners was a defining moment. Again, working with people and trying to have the same vision as someone else or try to you know build a brand with someone else you know after so long of doing it by yourself I guess that's like a defining moment and life lesson as well what do you think you would have done if you weren't a designer oh god I think a thing you know <laughs> there's so many things that I I think you know do you want the real answer or the joke answer? I mean, it's not even a joke answer. I always say I'd love to be a mixologist and jingle writer just because, <laughs> I, you know, I love to make a cocktail and make up silly jingles. But um, 
in seriousness. I, you know, I've, I thought about this recently, actually. Set design would have been quite amazing, maybe. Something, again, creative, definitely set design in, like, the ballet. Something like that, or costume design. I think maybe that would have been... Because I think that's opening to worlds and evoking feelings and, again, very visual, but paired down with a team of people. What I like, actually, is... And this is what I liked, I think, what got me into fashion wasn't even just necessarily just the clothes themselves. I think it's building up to something and presenting something, which is why I always loved the backstage element of the show rather than watching a show. I'd much rather be in the chaos and drama backstage and, you know, the last minute thing, because that's where all the magic happens. So maybe that which then leads me to maybe a party planner, but just for myself, because I love throwing parties and having parties. Again, creating worlds. So, I, I think know, a location them. scout, because then you get to travel. <gasps> There's so many things, but I think it all goes back to... But also, all of them, you could probably do, you could probably strike off and probably have already struck off a lot of them maybe. already oh, on your I list. Maybe, I try all those kind of things I try to bring into my yeah. work anyway. I might just do shoes, but I love to throw a party. So, I mean... <laughs> You can still do that. I got I got to travel a lot, so you know, location scout, and I got to make lots of fun cocktails. You're a really busy mother. How do you find time to fit it all in? I used to answer this question by saying that I started off doing both at the same time. I had my first son when I was oh yeah in 2008, and I like officially started my business selling and showing in 2008. So for me, it was kind of in parallel. So I always just said, I don't know any different. This is my life and you kind of make it work and you kind of have to make it work. Now that I've taken some time off where I've been full-time mum for the first time in like a while, I don't, to be honest, I don't know how I did it. <laughs> with help, with a great team at home and at work. Just, you know, again, and also with that can-do spirit. I mean, don't get me wrong, there were lots of can't do moments but now that I've been out of it for a bit I, I don't know how I did it because it's pretty intense so I really don't know how people do it especially if they don't have a big team or help at home like I've got I had both my mother and mother-in-law like literally now one lives to my left two doors away and one lives in the village next door so I'm very lucky to also have both grandmother support and um, I had a great team back in London helping me with projects and everything so I mean can't do it by yourself it takes a village so so they say and I think um yeah so yeah what do you do in your spare time if you've got any um, what would you I mean what would be a dream spare time I spare time again I mean I'm gonna sound like a broken record now that I've moved to the countryside and I uh. love living in that kind of world where you do actually switch off and actually like coming from London where I literally used to dress like this every single day, set my hair once a week, never leave the house without red lipstick, just because that's how I felt. I always did it for myself. But now, you know, I still love the odd red lipstick because it makes me feel good. And it makes, you know, it's also a kind of hologram in a way. It makes it look like you've made an effort. Um, <laughs> even when you're, I swear even by when it. You do, I don't know, I literally <laughs> I swear by it. And a beret because it feels like, oh, you're being stylish, yet you're hiding your bad hair. Or a turban, actually, is what I do to hide my bad hair days. I enjoy going for walks and runs with my animals and saying hi to my chickens and stuff. My dream is to be able to, you know, maybe watch a few Agatha Christie marathons. That's what I would like to do. You know, live that quintessentially country life, bake a few cakes. No, I just quite enjoy my surroundings, I think, the outdoors. I'm enjoying a lot more than I did in London because the outdoors there is different. I think having a slower pace of life is good and we've all 
realize after the year that it can be done or things can be done like that but that said now seeing you in front of me it's quite exciting just having face to face again you forget it how, how nice it is to be with people who and what inspires you lots of things inspire me I mean I'd say the core would be the 40s and 50s and all those wonderful black and white old movies my grandmother on my father's side inspires me a lot or inspired me a lot I mean both my grandmothers were super glamorous my mother's my maternal grandmother was more bohemian but my paternal grandmother literally looked like she walked out of the 40s movie I style my hair like her wear red lipstick like she did so she actually and I always say she inspired me because she made it look like it was real not just on tv so she always inspired me from that perspective. So now it's the time that everyone waits oh, for. Yes. It's the quick fire round. Dun, dun, Hit dun. me. What fashion trend do you just not get? Oh, I was going to say a shoe trend, but I don't want to be offensive because I'm on a shoe podcast. You know what? There's not many that I don't get because I think if someone wears it right, they own it. So I can't really distance. The same with like when people say what's your worst shoe. It's like I like taking that challenge and making it good. So I'm not going to say that there's one I don't get. Unless it's not making an effort for an event or party. Apply to... Follow the dress code. Respect the dress code. Dress the party and the party will come to you. There you go. Are you a morning or night person? Used to be a night person. I am now very much reluctantly a morning person. But (laughs) I think naturally deep down, I am a night person. Marmite, love it or hate it? Love it. If you were stranded on a tropical island, what were the two things you'd want with you? A book, because I love reading, so uh, maybe a book, an infinite, huge, long book. And sunscreen. I mean, boring, but got to do it. Yeah. Pushing, pushing an edge now. <laughs> when are you most productive? At night, sitting on the floor, working. I never work at a desk. I always work on the, kind of on Have the floor. Have you always worked on the since floor? I was, since I was, like, younger, yeah, just, like, the space. I think being creative, you need the space. <laughs> and always with a movie in the back, an old movie in the background, because you don't really need to listen, just You've watch. probably watched them so many times anyway, so you know. Many times. Exactly, it is that kind of thing. What was the last thing you fixed? Um, a Nerf gun. <laughs> Tea or coffee? Tea. Could you survive in the wilderness for a week? Absolutely, and I actually really want someone to challenge me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> what songs do you know off by heart? Lithium by Nirvana. Wow. Used to be, you know, 90s kid. Gangster's what? Paradise, Coolio. I don't know Are why. You... Was, my kids were singing it in the car the other day, and I knew the words. I mean, like, a long... school. Yeah. <laughs> Which made me feel uncool, actually, afterwards. <laughs> cool, and then really not uncool. Really. What looks delicious but tastes terrible? Ooh, You know what? I'm not into most desserts unless it's chocolate, so it can be the most beautiful thing. I don't like the taste of it. Would you rather be too hot or too cold? Good question. Oh, I'd rather be too hot, maybe. On a scale of 1 to 10, how cool are you? Oh, I don't actually think I'm particularly cool, but just to, you know, for my ego. My son did tell me the other day that his friend thought I was a very cool mom. Well, I actually agree. <laughs> I actually agree with your son's friend. But I don't think I am naturally oozing cool. No, that's not. See, I never even really tried to be particularly cool. I think what's good is that you're your own. You've got your own sense of style, so you don't fit into what is seen as perhaps. I know a lot more people who are way more cooler than me. Well, I actually so, think you're up there, though. I'm cool. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you. A I'm 10. okay with that, though. I'm gonna give you a ten. Thank you.
<laughs> Thanks so much, Charlotte. It's Thank been an absolute pleasure to walk in your shoes. Do we need to find out more about your work? Where would we go if we wanted to find out more about you on... Um, You're going to give me more work. Instagram or... I, I would say probably Instagram. I'm not a person of many words. I am all about images. And is that Charlotte Olympia? Yes. Brilliant. At Charlotte Olympia. You might have child spam though and chicken spam. I think that's all right. Sorry, not just shoes. <laughs> For more interest in Cordwainers livery, please visit our website cordwainers.org or our Instagram, worshipfulcordwainers.org.